All right, so welcome to Center Point Ken Island. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, please pray with me uh, before we start the message. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all here this morning, Lord, that we can hear the message through me, but it's your message, Lord. It's your message of how we should uh, look out on life, Lord, how we should look at our behaviors, how we should consider things uh, in our lives and in the other, uh, lives of others as we move forward, Lord, in our life. Please uh, let me be an instrument of your will and your message this morning. For this I pray in your son's most holy name. All right, so we're continuing the Nehemiah move forward, or forward, I guess. I, I want to say move forward because I think that's an action kind of that we need to be focused on. But over the last four chapters of Nehemiah, we talked about the challenges of leadership. So there's a lot going on. There's a wall that's been falling apart for a couple hundred years. Nehemiah comes in, starts rebuilding this wall, and brings a team and, and makes a team through the people there. So we've, we've looked at the visions of what needs to be done. Uh, we talked about the supplies and the logistics of what it takes to rebuild this wall and why unifying people, people towards a goal, uh, all these type of things, and even dealing with opposition. Today we're going to be talking about possible internal opposition. So, uh, you know, many of us probably talk about or, or can think of groups or teams, and there's one thing of facing external opposition it's a different story whenever the people that you trust on your team or even in your family uh, are actually working against you. <clears throat> so Pastors Brian and Rob gave us a couple of takeaways over the last couple of weeks, uh, putting God first, uh, where God guides, he provides, uh, talks about the need for faithful people, and building a life. Last week, Rob talked about building a life uh, that guards our soul. Today, we're talking about chapter 5 in Nehemiah which deals with internal issues in the rebuilding effort. So if any of you faced internal issues, maybe family members, work, church, I know that's something we don't talk about, right? There's no issues in church, right? You come here and it's perfect, right? <clears throat> it's supposed to be perfect. Um, but humans kind of make it a little different. Uh, maybe there's at work, there's employees that have got promotion, got a raise, and that employee isn't you. And so there's some strife there. You start creating an internal problem. Maybe it's your family, like I talked about. Maybe it's a brother, sister, mother, father, uh, adopted sibling, uh, uncle, whatever. Uh, but there's that black sheep of the family, right? I can't tell you how many times I know I faced it. Um, I've had teams at work where people work against me uh, to get things done. They uh, lie. They don't tell the truth. Um, sometimes they tell the truth and it's just spun in a certain way. I've been in churches where there's been issues. Um, so, I mean, it, it, just because we're sitting in church and it's supposed to be a, a certain biblical goal, that doesn't always mean that people focused on that goal and they're not out for their prideful um, point that they're trying to make. So it doesn't matter um, if it's an individual, if you're in a team, it doesn't matter what the situation is, but there's internal problems that kind of derail um, things that you're trying to, to push forward. So the reason why Nehemiah was so in, in uh, why this was so important for him is a couple things. One is uh, there was a situation where people were just breaking the law. There's another situation where it was just uh, going to probably derail some unity in the rebuilding efforts. Um, so these are things that he had to 
kind of deal with. Uh, also, at this time, there were some really miserable conditions. There was a lot of things going on. There was a famine at this time. If you start right off the bat in, in Nehemiah 5, it talks about this famine and people that are struggling to get food just to survive. This isn't like they got to pay their rent or anything, but they can't get the substance that will keep them alive. It also meant that they had no money. They were giving up their land. Uh, and this is probably the most thing that I think probably the worst out of all of it. They had to sell their children in slavery to get some money to eat. Um, that's pretty powerful. So the outlook was really bad in this situation. So let's look at Nehemiah, uh, the first verse. About this time, some of the men and the wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. So what else were they going to do? Nothing that they were doing was making progress. Uh, the famine was still happening. Uh, the money shortages were there. What else were they going to do but cry out? Um, <clears throat> I know this past week, um, I know I faced a lot of issues, talked to my wife quite a bit about different things. She shares some things with me, I share with them, or, or with her. Uh, she always uses a comment that, uh, and you may get this if, if uh, you know, you pay attention to kind of the, uh, the Chrome or the Internet Explorer, but she always says that she has a whole bunch of tabs open in her mind to get things done. Whole lot of issues, you know. There's a new, another tab with this, another tab with the children, another tab with the school. Uh, car breaks down, something like that. Uh, HVAC goes out. All these tabs are going off. So, you know, there's times where I think me and my wife cry out. There's things that probably make you cry out. Maybe not public. I'm not outside my house yelling. Uh, my neighbors, if they did that, they'd probably call the police or fire department or something, thinking something's bad. But you can cry out internally. Uh, you can cry out to God. You can pray on those things. Um, but the point being is there's things that, that there's a time where we just have to cry out because there's nothing else that we can do. There's a desperation level. There's a misunderstanding. We don't get it. Um, there's nothing else that we can do. It doesn't matter, again, like if it's health. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's family. It doesn't matter if it's work, school, whatever the case may be. Um, but it's just got so bad that there's nothing else that you can do except to cry out, and hopefully you pray to God. So I have four points to talk about today, about moving forward. Um, the important thing that I want to kick off at the top is in order for us to move forward, we can't just depend on ourselves. We need to depend on God because he's the one that when we turn to, he can push us forward. And that's what Nehemiah did. That's what he did, basically made uh, the situation kind of move towards uh, a biblical goal and something that was grounded in God. So first, my first point um, in order to kind of move forward is we need to understand the condition. We need to understand the situation and how do we take those steps to move it forward. So in verses uh, 2 through 5, read like this. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during this famine. And others said, we have borrowed money on our fields and our vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet, we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it. 
for our fields and our vineyards already mortgaged to others. So they're laying out the conditions there. It says right there in the text what's going on, all the things that I, I talked about. Pretty bad stuff. Have you ever heard the uh, saying, looking through rose-colored glasses? Anybody hear that? Um, I hear it all the time. Working in government, I hear it on almost on a daily basis. Uh, so what does that mean? It means you're really optimistic. You're looking at really good things. I'm sure that the nobles and the officials in Jerusalem were looking at everything. This is great. I'm making money. I'm getting all these people to work for me. All this great stuff. It can't be bad, right? It's got to be good, right? That's not necessarily the case. We can't get caught looking through rose-colored glasses. We have to understand the situation that we're actually in. So we can't get caught in that, looking at everything like it's great, when in reality there's people suffering. Uh, our spouse may be suffering. Our children may be suffering. There's su probably suffering right here. Probably a majority of us in here are suffering in some way, shape, or form. And so we need to pay attention to that, and we need to help. And that's what Nehemiah is about to do. So there's things that aren't perfect in this world, not in our lives. Uh, there's this person out there called Satan. Um, he actually does pull people into his group. He has a team of people that are here on this earth. Um, and they're not there to make everything great. Again, they may make the perception as it's great if you come over to my team, we can give you all these great things and make you feel good and everything. But that's temporary. And they're there to consume you, to bring you over, to, to pull you in. Uh, they use chaos, they use fear, they entice you, they use pleasure, they use all these things to bring you over to that team and make it look like you're looking through rose-colored glasses, when in reality you're not. Has anyone seen the show Evil on CBS? Anybody catch that? Good. <laughs> I actually have watched it. Don't hold that against me. I don't watch God Befriended Me, but I do watch Evil. I don't wanna, Don't hold that against me. It's more of curiosity, right? You know, a show gets on there. It's called Evil. It looks like it has a religious thing. I got to check this out to see if it's legit or not. So in Evil, basically the Catholic religion or archdiocese, whatever that group is called, um, <coughs> they've hired this psychologist. They hired this kind of, I'm going to call mechanical engineer person and a soon-to-be priest or somebody studying to be a priest. And basically, the archdiocese takes this team of three and says, go out and investigate this miracle, this possession, these strange things where maybe somebody, you know, hurt a bunch of people and they're claiming insanity. Um, but it gets the attention of the Catholic religion. So they go out there. I think I've watched the last three episodes or something. Um, and it walks through kind of what do they do. You know, they talk to him, they analyze him, they do blood tests, whatever. And so if you go, I, I will give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. So if, if you go back and watch these, don't come and call me that, that I've um, given you a spoiler alert. But basically, none of these are biblical. None of these are miracles. None of these things are possessions. Even made for TV, they do not make it look like God has a hand in it. What it is is the one situation is a malfunctioning dishwasher, if you believe it or not. Um, that, that's talking as if there's a spirit or something talking to people and telling them to do things. 
um, there's a bunch of people that are manipulating and exploiting the situation. So somebody hacks into the Bluetooth speaker in this guy's office. But all these things are uh, basically people are manipulating the situation to benefit them. Now, it could be just chaos. You know, again, the devil's out there just to create chaos. Because if there's chaos and there's problems or strife or despair in your life, you're probably not, he's, he's betting that you're not going to turn to God. And that he can win you over little by little. So that's what evil is if you want to check it out. Uh, my point being here is we can't be ignorant to discovering the truth, to finding out what the root cause is, what is the root condition that should take us forward because we have to recognize that first. We can't focus on just something that we see right in front of us. Sometimes we've got to ask questions. Sometimes we've got to just check in with people. We have to do things to understand the entire situation, the gravity, the condition that we're in. It's inevitable, but um, things are going to happen in our lives. So while the wall was being being rebuilt, there were a lot of things going on there. Like I said, uh, there's famine that was creating a desperate situation, limited food for survival. There was a situation where it was just rich for ex exploitation. Um, and these nobles... And the officials came in and started taking up the food, the fields, the vineyards, the money, made people borrow money. And people were complaining, but it really didn't matter. Nobody was listening. Bad things were happening. I mean, I can't imagine seeing somebody sell their young child into slavery uh, and not be able to do something about that. But it's funny, after 2,000 years, what's really changed in our world? That still goes on. There's still children... Um, uh, in other countries sold into slavery. We have human trafficking in this state, probably in this county, um, amongst all the other bad things that we see for the first uh, you know, 29 minutes of NBC Nightly News. They do something at the very end, which one minute of you know, uh, doing something great across America, which is fantastic to highlight that, but the previous 29 minutes is nothing but bad stuff. Uh, and it sells news because people are interested in it. People want to exploit that situation any way they can and manipulate it. So it's a vicious cycle. It's something that are going to happen over and over and over unless somebody stops it. And I don't, I'm going to give you a little bit of Old Testament here. But the Mosaic Law actually forbade Jews charging interest whenever they loaned money. And that's exactly what was going on here too. So it wasn't just... Um, it wasn't just that they were breaking the law. It wasn't just they were manipulating the situation. It wasn't just that they were, they were doing a whole lot of things uh, together to cause this issue and to perpetuate it in the future. It was just ongoing, ongoing, and ongoing. But they eventually got to Nehemiah, so they complained to the right person. And sometimes that's important, too. Sometimes we can sit outside work or we can sit outside our house or whatever and, and gossip and complain, but sometimes we need to actually complain to the right person too. And whenever that person hears it, they can take some action. And that's what happened here. People's complaints went to the right person. Nehemiah understood the situation and decided he needed to do something about it. So my next point is to confront the situation. So to resolve conflicts, we must confront the situation. And I'm going to put a little tagline at the end of that that's going to be a theme through the end. We need to confront those situations in a biblical way. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but let's look at verses 6 and 7 first. 
When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. It almost sounds like people's courts coming, right? <laughs> Especially like how he reads it. It sounds like I'm ready to go into people's court. Uh, that's exactly what was going on. And God is the judge. Uh, so in order to deal with, uh, in, in order to deal with the situation and the condition, the first thing we need to do is we need to confront our own behavior. So here, right off the bat, what does it say? It says, I was very angry. That wasn't the situation across the board. That was when Nehemiah heard this, as much as I think probably most of you will hear this, you're going to be like, what's going on? And that's going to hopefully infuriate you like it did in Nehemiah. But a majority of the time, anger is sin. So whenever you get angry, um, for example, I went back to, you know, somebody gets a position you didn't, so now you're going to hate them and despise them or whatever. They didn't do anything against you, except they were there and got the promotion. Um, how about somebody cutting you off in traffic, coming across the Bay Bridge? You know, you have that special way of saying hi to them, right? <laughs> or the things you say under your breath. Hopefully your kids in the van don't don't hear you. Um, but, I mean, that is not, you're not saying, hey, thank God for Johnny cutting me off and almost taking off my bumper. You're saying a couple other words that, that uh, you probably want to take back a little bit later. But sometimes anger is appropriate. In those conditions, no. It's not, it's sinful. Um, I hate to break that to you. God does not want you to call somebody names and all that type of stuff and then get infuriated. Again, that's, that's letting uh, Satan in a little bit because that's sinful. But there are times where it's appropriate. There's times in the Old and New Testament where God and Jesus were angry. They were not happy with what people were doing here. They were not happy with the situation. Um, and that's kind of called, if you look at some of the commentary and some of the other things, that's called righteous anger. Uh, but there are times where it is appropriate. This is one of those situations. Nehemiah was angry because of what was going on. The law was being, the Mosaic law was being broken. This isn't a speed limit. The Mosaic law, which set the foundation, uh, was being broken. People were taking advantage of others and exploiting them for their benefit. That's not biblical. Um, and then probably the other thing is he was worried about some, you know, the, Satan getting edged into the rebuilding effort and that being damaged with the unity. So there were a lot of things going on there, a lot of things that infuriated him and made him angry. So what was he going to do about it? Um, we at times probably have a little bit of a right to be angry if we go with a uh, kind of biblical outlook. Um, and the situations are so bad. A lot of times I would I would bet that you don't have the right to be angry, and it's more sinful, and it's sinful nature and, and a situation that probably is not positive. And anger sometimes does temporarily drive you. You know, if you're angry and you say, hey, Johnny wrote, won the last five um, games, last five races, I'm going to be angry because I don't want him to win a fifth one. I don't want him or her to get that gold medal. So sometimes envy and anger go hand in hand and will drive you to do things. But that doesn't mean it's good. And often that's going to damage relationships. That's going to set you up for failure in the future. Um, but sometimes it can be perceived as, as positive. And once, like I said, sin gets an edge, they exploit it. Just like the nobles 
and the people here did the leadership. They've seen a little bit of an edge. Hey, I can make a few dollars by doing this. Oh, the famine's going to continue another year. Let me turn that, that screw a little bit tighter and get these people to get a little bit more money. I can get a little bit more land. I can get a little bit more farming. I can exploit it more and more and more. I'm sure it didn't sound that bad at first. But at the end of the day, they were selling their kids to pay for food. So after dealing with our own issues, we need to confront those that are doing wrong. So we know after four chapters of the book of Nehemiah, he was a leader. Again, he was the right person to go to. He was the right person that probably is going to do something because he was rebuilding this wall in um, a short amount of time. He was getting people to build on it. You know, I mean, he was defending the opposition. Remember the one sword in one hand, uh, rebuilding the bricks in the other working around the clock. So, I mean, he was probably the right guy to go to. So what did he do? He took time away from his number one priority, which was what? Rebuilding the wall. He said, time out. Something's wrong here. Um, I need to deal with it. So he went down to help his people. And if you look at verse 7, he spoke out about the nobles and the officials and called a public meeting or the people's court. Uh, back in the Old Testament days, I'm sure it's called a public meeting, but uh, it was a court. It was a situation where Nehemiah was able to go in and speak the truth. He said, look, this is what's going on, just like what I did. He probably said you know, something to the effect of, hey, maybe you didn't have bad intentions at the beginning, but now you're, killing, you're literally killing your people. You're destroying them. Um, and it's going to have a ripple effect if it hasn't already. And he also had God on his side. So by speaking truth, you have God on your side. Um, so he wasn't afraid to confront these people. Uh, it's kind of like having kryptonite, right, on your side. When you got God, you can, you're, in, you're kind of invincible. Um, he will encourage you. Uh, he'll help you. He'll support you. He'll help you deal with things, not only your own behavior, but able to confront others. So after we confront ourselves and others, uh, my third point is we need to prepare and commit in order to move forward. So just like the work taking place in Jerusalem, uh, we need to prepare and make commitments in our own lives and stick to them. So if you remember in school, and some of you are still in school, uh, how do you prepare for a test? You study, right? So there's some preparation there. When you're getting up and going to work, um, you probably set your alarm. You take a shower. You go through steps so that you can get to work on time. So you make that preparation. You make that commitment uh, to get there on time, just like whenever you got here on time to hear this great message. So let's look at verse 12, what Nehemiah says. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priest and made the nobles and the officials swear to do what they had promised. So we must prepare for the best outcome. We have to, but we have to be ready for whatever happens. So we can prepare to, to do great, and then at the end of the day, we miss our train, our car breaks down, there's bridge work uh, for the next two years, and um, that's, that's, that's Satan working there. Uh, but... Not Governor Hogan, but that's Satan there, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's things we have to still prepare for because the outcome may not always be great. It may not be what we expect. 
Dofar alarm doesn't go off, all of that type of stuff. Um, sometimes the outcome's bad. It's not what we expect. Sometimes we're surprised, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way that something went that bad. But Nehemiah, I don't know if Nehemiah really expected the nobles to just throw down and say, you know, you're right. You called us out. We realized this. You made a compelling argument. We're doing bad stuff. We're going to fix that. I don't know if that's exactly what was going on, but I can see Nehemiah as a guy going in and saying, hey, I'm going to call you out first on breaking the law. Here's what the Mosaic Law says. This is how we should be living. Let's start with that. Then he said, you know, let's, let's add the human perspective in here. Let's look at the people that are being hurt by your actions. Again, maybe, you, maybe he made a little bit of a plea to them and said, I, didn't, I know you might not have expected to do really bad stuff, but here's where it led into. Uh, maybe it was that one guy that was on the noble team that was doing bad stuff, and he was called out. Whatever the case may be, he made a compelling argument um, he not only had them realize, but make a commitment to not do it anymore. And he made them swear to it in front of people. He did this in a loving, this is important, and again, remember I said about the biblical perspective, the biblical lens whenever you're doing these things. He did this in a loving way. He didn't come out and with guns ablazing and say, you people, blankety, blank, blank, blank. He did it in a loving way. He constructed a way to walk them through what they were doing. And that makes a big difference if you're going to be successful or not. If you go into it with anger and strife and envy and all those sinful words that, that we know are out there, um, the outcome's probably not going to be what you want, or in the long term it's not going to be what you want. So you need to make sure that you plan for that favorable income outcome, um, and that's going in in a loving way, not in a bitter way. Also, regardless of whatever happens, you need to still follow through on our, our commitments or our promises. So here again, Nehemiah made a compelling argument. They went out and kept their promises. They restored the people's property. They canceled their debt. They released the slaves. They fulfilled their oath. Um, and he made a point to say that they were likely, you know, his, his concern was, or what, what basically we need to learn from this is that eventually we'll, we'll answer for what we've done. And we'll answer to God for what we've done and the things that we've done here, rather be positive or negative. Um, we'll be judged at some point. So my last point is to be a godly example. So I should probably have started with this um, and then laid out the rest of it, but sometimes telling the story of leading up to this is, is what we need to hear. We need to do some reflection before then I throw the challenge out to you and how to be a godly example. So imagine I have this Bible here. Imagine if everybody followed what was in the Bible, starting with Genesis, okay? And just going through the Old Testament, all those laws that are like, what are they saying here? What do we have to do? What do you mean, you know, we're going to flood the world and all this stuff? to the New Testament about what Jesus did, and then ultimately what Revelation says is going to happen. Um, but imagine if we followed this, every single one of us, to the letter. We'd be more worried about where to plant a church than we worry about where the Google headquarters is going to be, right? Um, or anything else. We'd be more concerned about the churches. 
Last week, Pastor Rob gave us a quote by Neil Anderson. It said, we don't live out what we know. We live out what we believe. So what do we believe? This or TV? As we go into the last point, what drives you? What drives your behavior? What drives your action every single day? When you leave here, what's going to drive you? I'm planning to drive to go get something to eat. But beyond that, uh, you know, what, what is driving you in your life to do the things that you're going to do today, tomorrow, this week? Let's look at um, a couple verses at the very end, verses 14, 16, and 18. For the entire 12 years that I governed Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on the official allow food allowance. Verse 16. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land, and I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. All right, so my first point of how to live a God or leave a godly example and the actions that you do and the behavior that people see in you, is we need to focus on the work God has for us. So the Bible is limited, littered with examples of the plans God ha has for us. So if I look back in the Philippians, Paul from prison is writing to the Philippians about how they should be living for Christ. Do we live for Christ? Do you live for Christ? As a church, do we live for Christ? He tells them about how God is working, is doing work through us that pleases him. So God gives us gifts, not only to help us in our everyday lives to be successful, but more importantly, to further his kingdom here on earth, to further his work here at Centerpoint, Kent Island, at this church. And there's plenty of opportunities for you to do some ministry work here. There's plenty of opportunities for you to do ministry work every single minute or every single day if you wanted to. At work, on your way to work, on your way home from work, when I'm going out to get something to eat, which I'm sure you're going to need some substance as well. But the people that you interact with um, and the situations and how you approach them, there's an opportunity to do the work that God wants for you. It doesn't have to be physical work. Um, it could be, be simply hitting someone up on Messenger that you haven't for a while. That's doing ministry work counseling people, talking to people, hearing their needs, praying for them. Nehemiah was a great example of the work that he had uh, been laid out to do on behalf of God. If you look at verse 14, he could have collected taxes, he could have chose and made the situation worse. He didn't. Um, he didn't take advantage of people. He was, this was right before God, um, and he did this because he knew the situation, and he didn't want to take advantage of people. He wanted to just do his work and do the work for the glory of God. My second point is next, our actions should speak to who we are and what we stand for. Uh, more importantly is even how do you act whenever nobody's watching? Because eventually that'll bleed over into when people are watching. And they do recognize you. Back in verse 16, um, 
Not only did Nehemiah work on the wall, he had his servants work on the wall. It was a team. He just wasn't a person that was the governor at this high level, but he was on uh, par with his workers, his servants, his peers. He worked alongside them. They worked along with him. He believed strongly in teamwork. That's how their wall was rebuilt in record time in about, I think it was two months. Um, it was a community effort for everybody to protect everybody so everybody worked. So my question is, what are you known for at work, at home, in the church? Um, whenever people are looking at you and say, hey, I seen so-and-so, uh, what have they been doing? Where are they going? If it's into a place that's a little shady or they're doing things a little shady, um, that's not going to be positive. If your reaction or your behavior is to anger and yell at people, um, people probably aren't going to look at you uh, or think of you in a biblical way. They're going to think to you that you're sinning in, in your anger, and, and that's not positive. So I had a conversation a few weeks back with my brother Felix back there that was playing in the band. Uh, we were talking about what we do with our time. And I made a point to him. I used an illustration about headstones in a cemetery. Trust me, this isn't going to be negative uh, before you think. <coughs> this isn't going along with my watching the evil on CBS, but... Uh, <laughs> it's not morbid, but basically the point is headstones list the date when someone is born, right? And when someone dies and leaves this earth, hopefully for heaven or hell, if, depending on the situation. But what's in the middle of those two dates? A dash, right? Just a short dash of those years. Sometimes that dash represents a very long and fruitful life. Sometimes it's a very short life, unfortunately. Um, it depends on what God has planned for, for that person. But the dash is actually very important, not just to show the beginning and the end, but what happened in between. And it, sh and, and, and it reminds me, and me and Felix were talking, what have you done in that dash? What does that dash represent? So when somebody is thinking of you or going to the cemetery um, or whatever the situation is, what have you done? What legacy have you left with others, your children, your coworkers, all those things? So what does the dash represent when they think of you and your actions? My last sub-point here is we need to find a way to take on a servant role. Like in verse 18, Nehemiah knew the situation. He knew what the people were in the famine, taxation, take advantage of all those things, and he wanted to make life better. So he could have taken a lot of food for the king's provisions. He could have made a profit. He didn't do that. He was very generous. He actually served the people. He fed over, I think it was 150 a day is what Scripture says, um, but he fed people, I think, every single day on those provisions. He didn't use them for profit. He actually used them to serve others, to feed others. So he took on a servant role. Um, and even though you can look back on even Jesus' example, Jesus didn't come to serve us, um, or he didn't come to be served. Uh, he came to serve us, and he gave his life for us and our sins. So even he was a servant, um, as well as Nehemiah and what we should be doing as well. We should have a heart full of love. We sang about that. Rick talked about love. Um, that should be in our heart, and whenever love's in our heart, we do things differently. We serve others. Our behavior's different. 
all those things are different. So here's my takeaway for you today. God wants you to move forward, not just by your own means, but with him beside you, guiding you, encouraging you, supporting you, being in your heart. If God's in your heart, love's in your heart, things will be different. Chapter 5 in Nehemiah tells us about moving forward means that we must change. That's what I talked about, the entire kind of scripture I took away of things that would drive us to change, understanding the conditions, confrontation, preparation, all those things. Change the way that we think about ourselves, about others, uh, and react to situations or conditions around us. Moving forward means being ready to react to situations in a biblical way, not in a selfish way, but in a biblical way. What does God tell us in here on how to react? Even in the worst situation, Jesus was an example. He reacted in love, right? Occasionally there was that anger, but again, it was anger out of love for others. Moving forward means that we need to pre prepare, um, and preparing is, again, getting in the Word, praying, having fellowship in church like this. It also means make a commitment to do the things that uh, God wants you to do. And moving forward means that when God, when we have God in our heart and he's a priority in our life, uh, we can be a great example of what others see about what's in our dash and how people remember us in our actions, rather it be tomorrow, next year, or 50 years from now. So if we change the way we think, we will change the way we react. And that's what I have for you today. So if you play, I'm going to, if you, uh, if you pray with me as the band's coming up, dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here, Lord, to, to hear your message that's come out of Nehemiah chapter 5 about moving forward, Lord, in our life, how we deal with situations, <coughs> how we react, and how we can be uh, an example for others to follow, Lord, um, in a life that's devoted to you, uh, and how we love and serve others, Lord. And just be with everybody as they leave here, Lord. Keep them safe, Lord, but also keep them focused on you, Lord, in everything that they do, in their behavior, in the way they react, uh, just everything, Lord. Let them be full of you and your love for others today. Uh, and I just pray that um, this church just continues to serve the community, Lord, uh, serve others, uh, and just continue to be... Uh, be a steeple, Lord, in Ken Island, Lord, that we can lead people to you, Lord, and lead them to salvation. For this I pray in your son's most holy name.